we continue the process of looking at bad therapy stories from our listeners and making the process of therapy more transparent. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 22 of the Polyvagal Podcast. In this one, we do need you to put yourself first. We keep every episode as safe as we can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff coming up. Uh, Take a break if you need to. We will not be offended. Come on back when you're ready. We'll still be here. All right, so we've talked the past, what, two episodes, three episodes now about bad therapy, therapy standards, hoping people are benefiting from this. This is a message that I got from someone that will keep anonymous. This person's bad therapy experiences were, I, I can't read them out loud. It was, they're too triggering. This person does want me to share this. This person says, when I first started my healing journey, I didn't know all these were treatment errors. And I think saying errors is extremely putting it lightly. I didn't know all these were treatment errors. I thought it had to be that way because the trauma was so hard. Of course, the healing had to be equally hard and devastating. I didn't know I could have said no and stop the madness. And that is more accurate based on what this person has shared with us. If more people know what to pay attention to, that would be all I ask. So I thought that was super cool that this person was, they wanted us to put this out there for people to know that it doesn't, I love the way that this person put it, which is they said, they assumed that because what they went through was so hard that the process of healing had to be equally as hard. And I don't think that's 100% true. I'm curious what you think, Mercedes. I think that the process of healing is still difficult, but it shouldn't be. It should not be a traumatizing, it shouldn't re-traumatizing. Be, no, it shouldn't feel as painful or as difficult as the original trauma itself. I think like you said, it it is going to be difficult because to heal from these wounds, we have to reopen the wounds and kind of poke around and prod a little bit and see what's going on but then we're going to close everything up nice and tight seal it up and uh yeah that's not going to be an easy process no but it it shouldn't be as painful as the original trauma um it's not easy but therapy should be with someone who is safe giving you safe and social cues listening validating making you feel normal this should be easier than what you went through. It should be. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it should not be nearly as difficult, nearly as painful. I don't think. It shouldn't be devastating. The word that was used is devastating. Therapy should not be devastating. I don't think so. It's not always going to be easy, but there should definitely be more like bright spots than dark spots for sure. Dark spots in general are a red flag in therapy. What do you mean dark spots? Like feeling unsafe, feeling really ugly about not, you know, not in a physical appearance way, but just feeling just mm, like weirded out by the session or the therapist or something that happened or feeling really uh, dreading it. Um, And I'm just trying to come up with, I've never had, I've never had a client tell me they've had this experience, but um you know, if you're dreading going to therapy or if you ever think about how much you hate your therapist in a real way, like, you know, I sometimes I've had clients tell me to my face, I hate you. But it's like, 
because you're right and this yeah. is so difficult and, oh, and yeah. I appreciate that you're pointing it out. But it's uh, it's part of the rapport, you know, it's part of the connection we have that they yeah, feel yeah. safe enough to be able to express that in a in a teasing way. But if you're if you're dreading going to therapy, if it feels devastating to be there, those are those are dark spots. Those are red flags. Mm-mm. So this is different than talking about your past is difficult. That this is not what you're talking about. Yeah, that is is difficult. But yes. the process of therapy, who you're with, should feel safe. Yeah, and sh- it should make the process of talking about those difficult things, or thinking about them or even recognizing how it feels in your body now, it should make that more safe. So in no way should this be, I don't think, should this be um, as devastating as it was to be traumatized or to go whatever you went, to go through whatever it is you went through. Just like uh, they said, if more people know what to pay attention to, that would be all I ask. So that's absolutely a huge goal of all this is, is is to help people know what to look for to recognize their red flags or dark spots about therapy, take them seriously. And if you don't want to speak up, that's fine, but you can vote with your feet as well. Look for a different provider, look for something outside of therapy. There's tons of avenues. Yeah. Just the awareness and the recognition of it. Yeah. That's that's what my goal is in doing this with you, Justin, is just kind of like, you know, pulling back the curtain on Oz. And guess what? It's a little dude back there. It's not like an all-knowing wizard. It's just, you know, a regular guy. We're all just regular peeps doing our jobs. I think I think it's a really good way to put it. Like, ultimately, we have a degree. We went through some schooling, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we know what we're doing. I'll, I'll like, seriously. Obviously. After all this, obviously. That does not mean we know what we're doing. And I'm sad to say that, but that's the reality of it. Some people just show up as they call themselves therapists and they show up and they kind of do whatever they want. They really do. Like it's, it's not grounded. It's it's no longer grounded in a theory or in basic therapy skills. They're just obviously like based on these examples, they're just sort of giving advice or saying whatever pops in their mind, but that's not therapy. That's just, that's just a regular person calling themselves a therapist and doing stuff. Yeah. No, I I think the part that breaks my heart about this is that, when this this person says they started their healing journey and didn't know these were treatment errors, which leads me to believe that this person was blaming themselves. There was guilt on and blame for themselves within themselves of the whole process. And this is my fault that it feels this way, or this is just how it has to be because I'm so broken and terrible and messed up. And, you know, that, that breaks my heart for this person. Let's definitively let our audience know it, it does not have to be that way. Ideally, this should be a safe, although difficult, but a safe experience. All right. So let's revisit some ideas we've discussed in the past and add a couple more examples on. Let's do that. Uh, these will be pretty quick, kind of piling it on here. These mirror some themes we've talked about. First one is do not give advice. After telling a therapist about an upsetting conversation I had with my cousin, the therapist asked if I could just block my cousin's number. Now, in and of itself, not necessarily a huge deal, but the point is you're not helping the person to, uh, to what, problem solve. You're not helping a person to potentially identify the problem. You're just giving advice. This is something a friend can do. This is yeah, something I would do yeah. for, for you, Justin, if you said, you know what, Mercedes, like, 
man, my cousin's being annoying. Like, just block their number, Justin. That's what friends do. Exactly, yeah. I'm a therapist. It's like you've said so many times. I I have to be different than everyone else in that person's life. Otherwise, what the heck am I doing? They don't need to be paying me however much money an hour to tell them to block the number just like the friend did. Yeah, thank you for the clarification there. That's exactly it. So along those lines, the next one is, I asked for help reconnecting with my husband and she told me to get a divorce. Anybody can recommend a divorce. And I've, so Mercedes, I have never done couples therapy. Is that common for someone recommends To recommend divorce? a divorce? No, I feel oh, okay. safe in saying that I never once recommended divorce. Oh. Uh, no, not once. It oh, okay. was brought up, like, you know, the couples would come in and say, should we get a divorce? Hey guys, like that is not for me to answer. And that's what I would say. Not exactly in those words, but let's talk about it. Let's work through it. No, no, no. But I never once said, absolutely, yes, get a divorce. <laughs> no. That came up at least two at least two times with the responses that we got. Was that a therapist? Maybe three. A therapist was saying, get a divorce. I was being facetious. I know that. Like, that's just, you don't give. <laughs> I know you were I haven't done couples therapy. Justin. Yeah, okay. All right. I just want to make sure. <laughs> just want to make sure. And, okay, so again, don't give advice. Third one. My couple's therapist was going on maternity... Oh, this is the second example. My, th- my couple's therapist was going on maternity leave and pushed me to leave the relationship. She later called after my divorce to apologize for rushing a resolution before her leave. To be clear, I made my own choice, but the sessions did not feel safe at a vulnerable time. I just can't believe the situation... First off, recommending divorce. What are you doing? But just someone saying, like calling later on and saying, "Hey, by the way, sorry about that." No, I made a mistake. I rushed. I rushed a major life decision of yours. I I don't know how to make that situation better, but it, it, that's just bad. Like you don't recommend divorce. They don't think you'd give any advice, but no. Last one. A counselor told me to sleep around to get over the heartbreak of leaving a three-year-plus relationship. Now, Mercedes, I don't think I've ever done therapy to help someone get over a relationship. Is it common to recommend uh, being promiscuous? No, don't tell people to sleep around. What? <laughs> this one was so appalling when I read it that I. this was the one where I took a picture of myself in the story with my like, shocked face. Yeah, because that is so appalling to say. Even this one for me, I don't know. I'm not that kind of friend. Maybe I would joke around like this with a friend, but like I wouldn't give legit advice to a friend and say, you know what you need after this long relationship is is go ahead and just meet a couple of guys. Go out, you know. Yeah. So what is I it? E- so your oats. No, I wouldn't even no, tell this to a friend. That's a weird thing. Next uh, to kind of pile it on here, religion. This one is actually one more example, but it has multiple issues with it. Religion, negative expectations of therapy, the inability to work with trauma, which still shocks me, and they didn't refer out. So numerous issues. The the uh, the story, the bad therapy story is: after working with a therapist for a few months on normal teenage issues, I was 16 at the time. Normal teenage issues and trauma from an abusive childhood. She threw a couple, quote unquote, coping mechanism worksheets at me, and then said blankly, "I've done all I can for you." Jesus is your only hope. And they said, I can laugh now, but at the time, it felt very lonely and hopeless. Absolutely, it did. Of course it did. 
So just dismissing things and saying Jesus can help you. Um, if that's part of the treatment, fine. I get the impression that's not what happened uh, for this client. But uh, yeah, the issues here, the religion issue, uh, which is, the, and the issue with religion is you're imposing your values onto someone who maybe isn't aligned with you in that way. The uh, negative expectations of treatment, I've done all I can for you. Like you're, it's just saying like you're hopeless. Like what? This is my last attempt my last, what is it? My last resort. If this doesn't work, nothing will. That should never come from a therapist. That sense of hopelessness. There's always another avenue. And I find that when I get frustrated, that's when I become very creative and I find a new avenue. Uh, next one, medication compulsion. Uh, just like we said before, the previous example, this one says, had one therapist say she cannot go forward with me if I don't take medication. I don't know why. That's me saying I don't know why. Anyhow, uh, this person says, P.S. I've gotten myself to a good place without, all caps, without medication. Good for you. Why can't a therapist go forward without medication? Do your job. All right. And this one, this one's for Mercedes. He was barefoot in our first session together. Therapists don't do this. This is a total Seinfeld episode. It is, yeah. It really is. <laughs> he took his feet off. He took his shoes off in session. It did. What's the deal? With the... Yeah. Thanks. Hey, that's a good. That's a good Seinfeld. I didn't know you did impressions, Justin. I love Seinfeld. Man. I can't believe another. Th- it's just another one. I'm remembering my the one I had taking off her shoes, eating her tub of peanut butter. In the huge room, yeah. All right, let's get to more bad therapy stories. Hi, I just watched the live video about an hour ago, and I cried when you said that it was okay to ask for what I needed and what I thought might be helpful. I'm a pretty good communicator, and I do have some ideas of what may help me. But I have had three therapists who never made space for my requests. And of course, in those times, I feel like I must be doing something wrong then. I have these battles in my head where I know I am not being unreasonable, and I am being articulate, and I believe what I'm asking for is going to help me, because I know me. But based on the responses or lack, I flip back again to thinking that there must be something wrong with me. I try to figure out where I am wrong so I can make it right. And it all makes me sicker. Mercedes, why aren't these therapists listening to the client? It's been a while since I've been in therapy school, but that's kind of basic, right? I'm pretty sarcastic right now. I'm feeling a little sarcastic here. I'm I'm okay with that. All right. To make space for a client is exactly the point of being a therapist. That's what we go to therapy school for. This is what doesn't make sense to me. There's, she said three therapists who have not made space for her requests. To make space for a client is exactly the point of what we do. That's that's the point of being a therapist. Yeah, to it's their space. It's their time that we are there to create that for them and give them the safe and social connection and cues and all that. Yeah, that's that's what we're there for. I, I, this, is, this really trips me up is that this person, not just this person, but numerous people said, They've had more than one therapist who was not able to, like last time I think we said that more, like two out of three therapists were not able to listen to the trauma Mm -hmm. or to help them basically with the trauma. This time it's three therapists who were never, who never made space for my requests. I'm still wrapping my mind around this Mm -hmm. and I'm still in this place of, I know there's bad therapists out there. I get that. And maybe there's a lot. Fine. But that someone could go to multiple is shocking to me. And so many of our examples 
so many of our examples involve more than one bad therapy experience. And like you and I, well, yeah, but you and I had what two out of three that were we considered bad at therapy. Yeah, that's actually. crazy. That is crazy. I had thought of that. There's a shocking number. I think it's shocking. I really, and we don't know the exact, and I don't know how we measure that, but apparently this is an issue. It brings us to the next point of reinforcing the client's negative self-image. So here's a person who's seeking out help from a mental health professional, you know, doesn't feel very good about themselves, is is looking for help to improve their, you know, own self-worth, etc. And three times over has the exact same experience of being shut down and being invalidated. And of course, this is going to reinforce their own negative self-image. It's just horrifying to think that these people are walking in here yeah. feeling worse than they than they did when they walked in. You know, when they walk out, they leave feeling oh, worse. Oh, right. Yeah, the whole re-traumatizing thing. Yeah, and that's that sounds like this is what happened to uh, to this person. We don't know their history, but I think it's safe to say that they, they went in looking for help and they left with a lot of doubt and insecurity and uh, questioning themselves. And, you know, this is... I think we said last time that this is a common experience of someone who's been traumatized, that they know it's wrong. They know they should ask for help. And when they do that, they don't get the help they need or they aren't believed or they're minimized. But they know, like, this isn't right. And I do need help, you know? So this is, to me, this is three therapists that were giving that experience to someone. And then the other point is is that here is a person who is who's displaying appropriate assertiveness. This is something that we've been trying to encourage clients to do as through the series. And I, I know I've done it as a therapist in my own, you know, just professional service. And here's a person who says, you know what? I, I know I'm, be, I'm being reasonable. I'm not being unreasonable. I'm articulating my needs. I'm communicating them to the best of my ability. Based on how she writes this, it sounds like she gets her message across. You know, I understand what she's saying. And, and she knows herself. You know you. You are the expert of yourself. We, the therapists, are not. Speaking up for what you need, that's a really good thing. That's a great life skill. This person did not get someone that could receive that. And then that sent them into a place of self-doubt when really it's they know they were in the right. But yeah. Okay. So therapeers in session one, please give your clients permission to ask for what they need I think that it's becoming very clear that people are walking into therapy not knowing the process. So I don't blame them. Not knowing the norms, and we can't blame them. They are relying and they're trusting on the person they're paying. So therapeers, we need you to give your, the clients permission to ask for what they need, to speak up, and to make this a truly collaborative experience. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, and this applies to everybody, not just the person who wrote this, is that they said... Um, it all makes me sicker. And I, I just felt the need, the compulsion to point out to, to everybody listening, you're not sick. Um, I, don't, I don't believe that, at least not at all. I don't believe you're sick. I believe you might be stuck in a defensive state. We learned about that all through episodes uh, one through nine. Mercedes and I have talked about how to get unstuck in episodes 16 through 19. So it's an issue of being stuck. You're not sick. I don't think you're ill. Um, I think that you're stuck in a defensive state, flight, fight, shut down, freeze, something like that. Um, you're, I don't think you're abnormal. I think that you probably survived something that is abnormal. Uh, but you, and you've heard me say this many times, that I, I don't think you're abnormal. I think you're very normal. And I don't think you're sick. So I, I just felt the need to kind of 
explain that, to put that out there. All right. For over a decade, I worked with an older female therapist that helped me tremendously in working through my severe childhood traumas. That sounds good. I'm just noticing that it actually sounds good. <laughs> what does? That's a good therapy story so far. I worked with an older female therapist that helped me tremendously. Yay. All right. Cool. Yay. <laughs> she was beyond helpful. That's actually a good one so far. But, however, since my mother had been wickedly abusive, causing me to run away when I was 16, my therapist kept wanting to actually step in and be my new mother. I know that may sound sweet on one level, but I found it confusing and inappropriate while I was literally trying to walk through the fiery truth of processing the horrific hurts inflicted by my real mother. I needed a therapist, not yet another mother. I needed to heal from the one that I had. It felt like a boundary violation during a time and in a place that I needed to feel safe so I could go deep. Instead, I felt judged and like I was disappointing her for not accepting her offer. Regardless, I am deeply grateful for her teachings and her guidance. She was imperative to so many life-saving advances I have made on my healing journey. Sometimes you just have to know when to part ways. One of the notes that I made on this one is that the therapist needs to respect the client's pace and boundaries. I don't even know what this therapist was thinking trying to step in as in the role of mother. That's that's not something we do anyway. It's not therapy. It's not therapy. That's someone trying to, like they want to help. I know, I get it. They want to help, but they're acting more on their own impulses versus a clinical yes. view of what's best for the client or discussion of what's best for the client they're just trying to help in their own way it's just not therapy yeah it kind of feels like they're trying to get their own needs met in that instance and then when a therapist pushes for their own needs to be met it creates distress within the relationship the therapeutic relationship between the client and the therapist leading to the clients taking on feelings that are not their own for example in 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 the story that you just read justin the client said that she felt like she was disappointing the therapist. Those are not her feelings. That's not something that she went in the room into the room with. That's something that she picked up based on the therapist's presentation. In in response to, yeah. Yes. And and well, why don't I step into the role of your mother? And the client with appropriate boundaries is saying, No, thank you, I'd rather not. And then as the therapist is pressing for it, it just, it feels like the client, the client feels like she's disappointing the therapist and that's not, not therapy, which is your new favorite thing to say. It really is. It's just, it cuts to the chase. Like that's not therapy. I was really impressed with this, um, with this story, this person's story, because you mentioned it a minute ago, Justin, she is actually very positive and she acknowledges the positives in this therapist. I want to commend them and say, you are an awesome person for for recognizing the positives and also the way that she ended it was saying you just have to know when to part ways yes beautiful that therapist was no longer being helpful i'm kind of where you're at in a lot of these stories the level of awareness and insight that the clients have and all the therapist has to do is just their job (laughs) (laughs) and they'll be okay they, this person can handle it. They'll be okay. They, yeah. they will be okay. All we have to do is believe that mm-hmm. and provide therapy. Not solve the problems, not give advice, not say stupid things. Like it's keep it on the straight and narrow. You, you know, they'll, they'll be okay. A lot of times they just need someone to listen 
And uh, it's not that hard to listen. (laughs) I was with my first therapist for almost two years, and we were building a great relationship. I finally went to therapy to face my horrific trauma of emotional and sexual abuse and neglect from childhood. I am very disorganized in my attachments. The tension of longing to be close but not having the ability to be close is torturous. My therapist was the first person I allowed myself to trust in my life. I attached to him quickly and in a way that took over my life. I thought of him all day, every day. I didn't let him know because I knew it sounded crazy and I thought he would abandon me. After doing tons of research on transference and realizing that the intensity of my attachment was a reflection of the intensity of the trauma and a normal response, I finally mustered the courage to want to talk about it with him. Well, I did, and he didn't take it well. He told me to email him for another appointment. After emails, phone messages, and texts, he never responded again. Done. The saddest part, though, is that I really love the therapist I have now, but I can't convince myself that he cares for me at all. The same intense attachment happened with him, and he's been completely comfortable with working through it with me. The opportunity for an amazing therapeutic relationship is just out of reach, because after a year and a half with him, I want more than anything to trust him, but can't. I just can't stop believing that he secretly despises me and is going to dump me. Thank God he's very patient and reassuring. This is uh, disheartening. This client sounds absolutely awesome. Yes. The amount of research that they put into it. The amount of awareness that they have into themselves. They want help. They're ready for change. They're ready to be open. These are the ingredients for successful therapy. You just need That's someone a on the other end. Client. Yeah, you just need someone on the other end that can handle that. And it sounded like it was going okay until it got to the point where the therapist could no longer handle what was happening. And it sounded like this if if the therapist had been able to do so, the client would have been fine. Mm-hmm. Potentially would have been fine. They were aware of it. They knew what was going on. They could name it. Like that's, that's an amazing amount of awareness that they're bringing and the therapist just had to work through that. It's an, it's just, it's a new issue to work through, but it's toward growth. It's toward becoming unstuck. There was a real opportunity here that was missed, which is pretty frustrating and, you know, on my end. It is really frustrating. And I, I always put myself in the place of the client and I think about this person coming in And, you know, after some time of grappling with it and researching and doing all this stuff and then comes in, opens herself up and at the most vulnerable point in therapy, the most vulnerable point, the therapist says, peace out, ghosts her. Yeah, what the heck? So what happened here now? The therapist just stopped responding? He said, he freaks out and says, email me for another appointment. So she does. And then the phone messages and texts, and he doesn't respond again. This is a uh, not okay treatment abandonment. Is that right? That uh, I right? think so. Yeah, that uh, sounds right. Let's have we'll have something in the in the description uh, for more about that. But therapists may not abandon treatment. That is completely unethical to do so. That's wrong. You can't just leave people hanging, especially this person sounds like she was in a a state where she really needed some help and was ready for it. You can't just go, like literally, this is something that you would do in like, I guess a relationship Mm -hmm. that you don't want to be a part of anymore. Is that how the kids are using it nowadays? I I think that's how the kids are using it, Justin. I think for me though, that I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but that makes it even worse for me because now I'm understanding that this therapist seeing the relationship, conceptualizing the therapeutic relationship 
almost as a romantic relationship where it did the client feel like a girlfriend or an ex-girlfriend or something. Maybe it reminded him of his own stuff, but that's not okay. You don't just, even if, even if you decide as a therapist, you know what, this isn't something I can handle. This, this feels like it's hitting too close to home or it's, it just doesn't feel right for me. Then you refer out, you, you help the client transition to a, another way of managing this issue and getting the treatment she needs. The bigger theme here is that, and this is a perfect example, where one therapist's mishandling of a situation directly affects the next therapist. Yeah. Or the next therapy experience for the client. And in this one, it sounds like she has a, which is good, another good therapist. Or at least things are going well right now, mm-hmm. right? And she says there's an opportunity for an amazing therapeutic relationship, but now she's holding back. And she already she said she already had trust issues, but now she says she's holding back. Well, because of what happened, right? Yeah, because of the previous therapist. She wants more, but you know, due to due to what the previous therapist did, ghosting her. And that's not fair to this therapist because this therapist sound I mean we have limited information, but it sounds like this therapist has a good relationship with her, is willing to talk about it, is open to talking about it. It sounds like that door has been opened in treatment. But now this therapist can't help the client get to where she needs to get because of the previous therapist's mistake. Many, many kids, many teens that I've worked with that are over therapy, and maybe they're coming to me because they feel like they have to. Uh, parents or principals or whoever are pressuring them, or maybe they're at a point where they know they need help, but therapy in the past has not been helpful or counseling or school counselors or whatever. And uh, so it, it's, it's, um, it's kind of an obstacle to in building rapport and whatnot that doesn't, it's, a, it's like an obstacle that doesn't need to be there. If they had just, if they had just gotten really kind of basic therapy experiences of, of being with a safe person that, was compassionate and um, met them where they were at and cared and listened and, and, you know, validated them that if they had gotten a positive experience off the bat, that the next one, they'd be ready for another positive experience versus walking in and having an inherent distrust of the process and of the the therapist in the room. So it's just this obstacle that does not need to be there. And this example was a really clear example of of that happening. So therapeers, we, we got to set each other up for success. Do the best we can. Just do the, the minimum stuff, basic stuff. And that'll uh, set up a next therapist if there is one for hopefully a good experience. And that's obviously for the client as well. But yeah, you can't, don't abandon treatment. That's messed up. Especially at that moment, I, I said it before, but it gets me that it was at that moment, the most vulnerable, which means this is the opportunity for the most benefit also. Like this could have been a real turning point for this client. It it could have been amazing. Ama- she's obviously ready to do the work and she's obviously ready to do what she needs to do to feel better and to, to just move past it. If the therapist had come from a place of curiosity uh, compared to, I don't know, being anxious or being freaked out Threat or whatever. Or, if yeah, if they had come from a place of compassion and in believing in their client, I think things might have looked differently. But it sounds like they came from a place of feeling the tension and the anxiety, and they reacted to that versus their inherent belief 
in their client. That has to be our starting point. That has to be the thing that guides us is this constant like compassion and belief in our clients that they can, you know, do better. Mercedes, let's Hey. Let's share uh do you, do you want to share more about our own therapy experiences? I absolutely do, Justin. I'll go first. Go ahead. What's what's the last one I shared? Uh the person who could not stop talking about their mom and was looking <laughs> to me as a possible referral source. Yes, the, uh-huh, refer to, uh-huh. not source, but refer to for uh to work with Children. kids, to work with kids, yeah. yeah. And there were other things, but the, those are the main ones that bothered me. So the other actually I'll share there's a couple of positives I've had with therapy, okay? And all these were very brief and mostly just to kind of experience therapy. There's a couple things I wanted to work on. And I had a couple that were overall good experiences. I think I met with one guy was maybe once or twice. And he was really blatant, like calling me out on something. And in session, I didn't appreciate it. But I was able to take it in and use it. And I, it was actually a big turning point for me. And I looked back and I actually, I kind of appreciate his uh, just blatant, like in the moment, I'm like, dude. And uh, he was calling me out on something and I kind of, you know, snapped back at him. But I took it. I took the advice. He basically gave me advice or called me out on something. I took it and ran with it and it worked out for the best. The other one, the other positive experience I had, saw her for three sessions. I was working on something that was really bothering me, but I had, I couldn't, I was not able to handle it on my own. And three sessions. And it was, it just helped to have someone who was like setting goals with me checking in and holding me accountable to my choices. Um, so that, that was very simple. She she was cool. Nothing extraordinary. Nothing I could think about that was like bad. It was just solid experience. I felt like she cared enough and that she was setting goals with me and it, it was nice. And then the last one was uh, I had a, a panic attack at work. Came out of nowhere. Had never had one before. The only times I've had a panic attack since are on this horrible bridge that basically goes into the sky and I freak out. All right. <laughs> it's like, it's like that arch in, is it in Seattle? That arch that like goes that huge arch, you know, oh, I don't know. Is that Seattle? There's some, you know what I'm talking about? No. The, like the major landmark, the one yeah, in St. Like Louis, a, Missouri. Oh, is it St. Louis? Yeah. Not Seattle. Oh, they moved it. Okay. Seattle has this. No. <laughs> I didn't, no. I didn't know that they moved that. All right. So, they did, Justin. It was just a few years ago. To me, oh, okay. <laughs> to me, the bridge that I panic on is basically like that. Like I'm, I'm driving into the sky, and it freaks me out, terrifies me. It doesn't me. go in the sky. It doesn't go into the sky. I'm driving. All I see is blue, and it scares the heck out of me. Like there's something about it that I panic. I literally like start freezing up and panic, and it's all I can think is like the ground is gone. I'm driving into the sky. It freaks me. It really freaks me out. So do beyond, you have an issue with heights? I have. A, I do. Yeah. Okay. Enough to where like it makes me change my behavior. Yeah. So now when we drive that way, I'm like my wife. So I'll, I'll pull over. I'm like, I'm out. You're in. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> we get over. We get over the sky bridge, and then uh, we switch back and I drive and I'm fine. <laughs> I don't. Nice. I don't like heights. So um, beyond that, no panic attacks. Right. I need to go on this bridge. I'm distracted by the do bridge. Do it by yourself. Let me know how it goes because, oh my God. No, I'm not going to do it by myself. We're going to the Bay I took Area a video of it. I'll, so. share, I'll share it on Instagram. Oh yeah, do that. Yeah. So when I'm in the passenger seat, I can handle it. 
but I'm looking at my phone and I'm, really? I'm recording the process like that oh, okay. helps. Yeah. So, uh, but this bridge besides that, no panic attacks, but this one day at work, I had a panic attack. I don't, I, I, I still don't know what triggered it. Something did. I was doing a parent group and it was me. Actually, it wasn't even a group. It was me, a parent liaison and a parent. And we were talking with a parent and all of a sudden never happened before, but I had a panic attack. I don't, I don't know why. And, um, so I went and I was like, something, you know, I could tell like, this isn't right. Something's happening here. So I went to my boss. And I'm like, Hey, something's going on. And she's, she's like, Oh yeah, you're having a panic attack. So from that, I got set up with an EAP therapist. I went there once and that was it. Within 15 minutes, she was diagnosing me with like a anxiety disorder. Didn't ask me how many times this had happened once. If it was a recurring thing, <laughs> no. Didn't ask me about important life, questions. You know, life history, the context of what's going on in my yeah. life at the time, what happened in the moment, nothing. But somehow knew I had some sort of anxiety disorder, and that was the only time I went there. So that that was the other person that I just didn't think was showing basic level of competence, in my opinion. My turn. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah, so last time we met. Told you about the peanut butter story. Um, so that was my very first experience with a therapist who I think I told you was a psychologist. The second person I went to was really good. He was um, he was a really good guy. I really enjoyed seeing him. He was like this big old dude with like this big old bushy beard and like hey hey. So mine's not big. It was, it's not but he's bushy. like like a big old like it's like one of those huge ones. Yeah. Like a like a teddy bear guy. I don't know why that I don't know why that comes to mind. Um, and it was just, I don't know, he was just really good. He helped me work through a lot of stuff, like pointed out a lot of things that I just didn't even know was there. Um, and I saw him for, I don't know, maybe a year or almost a year, like six months to a year, somewhere in there. Really good. Um, I mean, I don't have any specifics about it. He didn't have a cavernous room. He didn't take off his Oh, shoes. that was a good experience. That was a good experience. Oh, nice. That was my good one. All yeah, right, so bearded the, therapist, the first good job. Bearded therapist. <laughs> he was we, really good. We go he was to really bearded at, therapy school, and it's really the top. <laughs> it's like the top therapy school. You know, I tried to, I tried to buck the system, and I tried to apply. They wouldn't let me in. <laughs> you have to be, you have to have a beard. Yeah, the beard. So no, so that was a good experience. He, um, he was really good at communicating with me. I just, I remember this one time something really unusual happened, and I was like, "What is going on?" He had like this little, um. He had like this little bathroom that was kind of attached to the office, but it was like a room attached to the therapy room. So he goes, he's like, you know, he, he says, will you excuse me for a minute? And he goes in there and I just hear all this noise. And I'm like, what, what is going on? I know it's a bathroom. And I'm like, is this guy going to the bathroom in the middle? Like, is he making all that noise? And he comes back and he sits down and he said, you know what? I'm so sorry. I just, I don't feel present today. I had to splash some water on my face. That's what you heard me doing. Thank God that he told me that because I was really worried about what I was listening to. But it, yeah. so it was like a weird experience. But the way he handled it, nice. it felt fine. Like I, it felt safe and appropriate. And he he ended up not charging me for that session. He said, I'm not present for you today. Let's reschedule. Really? And I, I want to really give you all of my attention. Yeah. Nice. Good job. So it, was, it, just, it felt really good. Bearded therapist. It's awesome. <laughs> so he was my second one. Really good. My third one in my head I refer to as uh, my vanilla therapist. I had the peanut butter therapist and now the vanilla therapist. And I refer to him as a vanilla therapist because he was just so vanilla. He had 
like, I don't want to say, he didn't have like a flat, like tone of voice, but it wasn't very prosodic. There wasn't a lot going, like it was just very plain and boring. And his face, same thing, like didn't give a lot of expression, didn't like indicate to me that he was, you know, in whatever, just very vanilla, very plain and boring. And um, he tried doing EMDR with me. Really? Got yeah, my and it was, I know, I know. I saw you tuning I sat out for a like, second. What? I know. <laughs> Let's hear about this. Yeah, he did. So it was um, maybe the third. Se- I only went to see him three, maybe four times. Um, but it was like the third session. And I told him, I'm a therapist too. I'm an MFT and I do this. And I, I felt like I was really clear with what I needed. I said, I need you to listen. And I need I need to do some like in-depth, like, you know, like in-depth work, like heavy stuff. And he said, okay, I can do that. Sweet. That was the first session. Second nice. session, he's like... Off um, to a good start. Off to a good start. It was good. It actually looked, it felt promising. Second session was more of the same as the first session. And I was like, when are we going to get to the real stuff like I asked? And I even tried saying, hey, can we talk about something else? And he's like, no, 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 let's just stay right here. Like really surface stuff. And I'm like, look, like I gave you the lowdown. I just need to jump right into it. Whatever. Third session, he brings up the possibility of doing EMDR. He says, maybe we can work through some of this stuff with EMDR. And I'm thinking, what stuff? You haven't even, we haven't even gotten to the meat of it yet. And so it was either the third or the fourth session where he gives me the little little paddles, the little electronic or electric shock things. And uh, we do the EMDR, but it was a, um, wait, it was wait, a memory. He, he didn't do the actual full, because with the EMDR, you're not supposed to just jump into it. Like he didn't actually set you up and do like the, all the pre-EMDR bilateral stimulation stuff. He just went to the bilateral stimulation. He he set me up a little bit, but I don't feel like it was it wasn't the whole EMDR. Pro- it was rushed. It's, it sounds like with the bad therapy stories that we got that involved EMDR techniques, that they're just jumping straight to it. Like they just can't wait to bilaterally stimulate someone, so they're like, just let's, let's get to it, you know. I know. <laughs> that face you made was awesome. Um, it felt like that. It it felt like that because he like had the like had the idea like let's do let's do EMDR and then he just couldn't wait to get these little paddles into my hands. I was like, okay, what are we doing? And uh, yeah, it didn't feel helpful at all. And I reiterated again, hey, look, here's what I need you. I need I need you to listen to my stuff, and then I need I need to go like deep into the heavy stuff. I just need to work through it. I wanna I wanna get through this business. Let's do it. And he's like, well, let's try this other stuff. No, like wow. I am a therapist. I know the CBT skills and I know this and I know that and da, 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 da. And he's like, well, let's just try it again. Dude, like seriously. Wow. I, I teach this stuff and frankly, I teach it better than you do. So oh, can we move on? Shots fired. He just yeah. like, he was, was not getting it. Wow. He wasn't getting it. And so I, I said, I can't, I, I need help and you're not. You gave him four, four tries. Three, three to four. Three to four, yeah. Three to four. More than yeah. enough. More than enough. Yeah. That was it. How can you have someone say, this is what I need? And I had to say, I had mm-hmm. similar experience. This is what I need. I'm a therapist. I, I'm okay. I'll be okay. Just, right. I, I get the process. <laughs> this is what I want you to do for me. How do you not do that? That That's what I don't get. I feel like in any other, I, I don't know if this is fair to say, but in any other profession, like, a dentist goes to see a dentist and says, look, 
I, I know what's going on. Like, you don't have to explain the whole spiel to me. I get it. You know, I feel like the other dentist would be like, okay, I got you. Like, get in the chair. Let's, you know, drill it up, whatever. <laughs> but like, like if I had someone come into me and see me for therapy and say, guess what? I'm an MFT also. I'd say, sweet. Like, still got to do confidentiality. Obviously, yeah. got to do that. But like, let's jump into it. What do you want to do? Do you need me to lay it all out like regular clients or do you want to just go into it? I, I don't know. That's me. This, that, it's just like, it just shows me that many of, of the people in our professions are not looking at the client in the highest of regard or esteem. Mm-hmm. They're not doing the unconditional positive regard. Like they're looking at us as less than. And that they're the expert in the room sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But when we have two experts in the room and I'm the expert in my life, that kind of trumps your expertise. Let's put it out there, you know? So like... Absolutely. But they still viewed, like, well, you in this example, as like, no, 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 I, I know what you need. And you're saying like, no, I, I, I know what you're doing. I know what my life is and I know what I need. Like my, my opinion here Trump shores, like just do this thing for me, please. And they mm-hmm. still viewed you as no no, I need I know better than you. I don't know. Get off your high horse. Yeah. Therapist, come on. <laughs> Get off your high horse. I, I, I don't know if it's about like going through the motions. Like if if at some point for some therapists it becomes just habit, which I don't think it should ever be. I think it no. should I think it should always be I don't want to say it should always be a new experience. But I know that when I do therapy, yes, of course, there's definitely routines that we get into. You see the same clients. They have the same issues. You work on the same stuff. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. But it shouldn't feel like it shouldn't feel like a routine. It shouldn't feel like a habit for you as a therapist. I'm talking about for the professional here. Right, right. No, I know. Because if that's what you're doing, then you are just going through the motions. And what kind of help? Like, that's not quality help that you're giving people. You have to find a way to be present and make it feel new and just fresh and present. And especially if you work in settings where, like I worked in a substance abuse setting, I know the next client I'm work- working with has a substance abuse issue. Right. And I know right. there's probably some level of abuse that goes along with that and family dysfunction. Like there's certain things that like I know I can anticipate just based on doing it for years that like I know it's going to come. But within those repeated um patterns within those patterns there's all it's all there's tons of variation um and i i find it honestly just for myself super fascinating when someone's suicidal i find it interesting like why and 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 what suicide what the potential of suicide means for them or what like why someone cuts and it's it's, there's a big there's a wide range of why someone cuts and i i find that fascinating um yeah so like there's so much rich stuff in what we deal with that if someone's at a point where they're going through emotion to me they've kind of checked out yeah you know if if you're not looking at each experience as an opportunity to learn and to to experience something new you know and to build a relationship that uh yeah it just sounds like you're kind of either burnt out or jaded or you've lost the passion for what you do that's a sad note to end on (sighs) well Till next week. (laughs) (laughs) Announcements. We do have the Trauma Nerds Forum that has picked up some speed recently. 
Yes, it has. On the justinlmft.com website. Join the forum, the Trauma Nerds Forum. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode. That's the best place to do it, in my opinion. We can kind of get a more robust conversation going on there. Yes. Also a good place to submit any episode ideas that you have as well. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode has had a direct and positive impact on you. If you have a question about anything, feel free to reach out to one of us. We have our contact info in the description, where you can also find a link to more detailed show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Boom, baby. So how are you doing? I'm great. Never mind. We got to record. Three, two, (laughs) one.